Thank you for listening to the Fields Brothers Show. Well, Roger, you're familiar with Jeff Foxworthy, right? You might be a redneck if you yep. remember that. Yep, pretty much. Well, yep. I've got a few. This is not a long list, but we'll get to it here pretty quick. That uh, these three things you might be a Pharisee if. So I think you'll like these. Well, it's nothing brand new we haven't talked about before, but um, we'll see. This is the Fields Brothers Show podcast. Uh, I am Jeff Fields. And I'm Roger Fields. That's, that's my cue, and, and, isn't it? Yes, uh, you're doing real good on okay. that. So together we are the Fields Brothers coming to you from Central Kentucky at a uh, sometimes disclosed locations. We are not the Brooks Brothers, not the Marks Brothers. And we just enjoy talking about uh, life on this side of the cross. The cross is just, we cannot overestimate or, un, or overappreciate, I guess would be the better phrase, overappreciate how significant the cross was and how that changed everything, dividing from the old covenant to the new covenant. And so that's what we talk about, plus a few other things that are somewhat random and really have nothing to do with the cross. So, Roger, you ready? I'm ready. Let's let her rip. So when I say, you know, these things, you might be a Pharisee, I'm just using that phrase lightly. So I'm not saying you actually are a person, you know, actually is. We're not talking about identity. So don't get too caught up in the phrases here. But the, so when I say you are, I really mean you're acting like a Pharisee. But just three things. I've got many other things. So I don't have one theme kind of for this whole deal, but for this podcast. But we'll be going through a bunch of um, quicker ones, a little rapid fire here. But the first one is, if you get nervous about the good news of grace, then you might be a Pharisee. Did you catch that? If you if you get nervous about good news of grace, you might be a Pharisee. Well, particularly, I, well, see, okay, all right, but but only if you understand grace as apart from works, not as a mix with works. I mean, if you'd asked me that a few years ago, I wouldn't have been nervous about grace. Okay, I'm good because I got grace and works. Well, what I'm saying, if someone's emphasizing, maybe I clarify it. If you get nervous that someone emphasizes grace too much, let's say it that way. Okay. If you if, if you get nervous that somebody emphasizes the good news of grace too much, you it might seems be a out of ba- You're not balanced. Right, because, you know, when, <laughs> when sometimes you, you know. Got to be balanced, Jeff. You got to balance you, your grace with your works now. And so, you know, you, you can. Haven't you, you heard can, that? You know, it's interesting how, and one of this is going to relate to one of these others as well, but you can put something that you think is just as innocent and as agreeable as anything on Facebook, but there'll be someone that just gets nervous about, oh, you're emphasizing grace too much. You're emphasizing, it's, it's, the news can't be that good. And so, anyway, so. You know, which, which, okay, let's talk about that for a second. Right. Isn't it interesting that people will fight believers or Christians, you know, yeah. apparently, I guess, you know, will fight over too much grace? Yeah. I mean, they, they want to they wanna fight you over, no, 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 it's not that good. It's not, God's not that good. They want to, they want to, I mean, what, what is the mentality of that? I mean, at one time someone said the gospel needs to be balanced. Yeah. Imagine that. Yeah, the gospel, <laughs> the gospel is, is basically is just too good. Christ, you know, so it's yeah. like saying Jesus Christ needs to be but, balanced. So, okay, good but, question but then. I guess so what's my, going on there? Well, my, my point is, it's not that some people just disagree with you. Well, I don't see it that way. and I can, They will get irritated and fight for grace to not be as good as what the Bible explains it as being. That, and, it's like they have a need to not have much grace, which is a really weird thing to me. And I, I posted the one thing recently about, you know, I think one of the big hurdles is people it, it's, it just have a hard time many times, religious people, say it that way, religious people have a hard time believing that God is actually that good. 
and it's just and the, but but and them, so that comes the, from misperception. Yes, about who they have God a hard is. time, and they're irritated by it. That's my thing. And a lot of it because they're not really enjoying their walk with Christ. And for them, it's it. more of an obligation. Yeah. For them, it's kind of drudgery. And if yeah. it's not a drudgery for you, and it is for me, then that's not fair. That's right. If, okay. I, if I'm going to be slogging yeah. along here, then you need to be doing right. the same thing. Right. So I right. think that's right. right. So next one's kind of similar. If you downplay the love of God you might be acting like a Pharisee. If you downplay the love of God, so a very similar thing, but just a little bit different as yeah. opposed to grace for love. I think we, you and I both acknowledged, I remember when we first started this podcast, we talked a little bit about that when, however long ago that was, two, two and a half years ago, that, you know, I look back at all the sermons that I preached. I still have, do you, do you still have a file of old sermons I that you preached? I don't keep anything like that. I don't <laughs> yeah. know why I've never done that. So it's it like, I, I, I just never, I've never done that. I don't that. think I ever asked you that before. I've yeah. still got almost every sermon I preached in a file wow. in my basement somewhere. Wow. And some were, I went through different segments. Sometimes I went there for a while. I was, I was doing complete manuscripts. I mean, I got a word for word manuscript. I guess in my sermons. heart, I knew they weren't that good. <laughs> so they were worse. I knew well, they are never going to be turned into a book or anything. Well, yeah, like, yeah, oh, I, I wouldn't argue with let, that. You're probably let right. This but, go. Oh, okay. Thank uh, you. But then some of mine were just outlines and all this. But, um, okay. Now I remember where I was going with that. You know, look back. I have, you know, lots of, you know, I have sermons on commitment and sermons on discipleship, but I don't have hardly any sermons on love. And I think that's, you know, that's kind of telling there that I think for me for a long time, if someone talked too much about the love of God, you know, I would think, oh, they're just, they really don't understand doctrine. They're just kind of wishy-washy. And now there is some of that. So I'm not saying there's not some of that. You know, there is some, or but am I making sense? Yeah. You get this? Yeah. So, yeah, you know, so. So if you downplay the love of God, you might be a well, okay. I, I do have a comment about that. Okay, I think I reacted to a lot of um, either believers who are writing or speaking, and they would never talk about anything that I would have said would have been substantive. Nothing about cross mm-hmm. or resurrection. It was all just kind of what I then would have said a gooey God. You know, mm-hmm. just it just it just all just God without. The gospel, the sentimentalism. Without, it's just a sentimental. Yes, that's a good word for it. And, and so that kind of that kind of turned me off to that whole mm-hmm. um, notion, that whole pathway of God being a good, loving mm-hmm. Father. Because, anyways, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And and the the third one on this, the last one, is that if you make rules to divide, then you might be a Pharisee. That's kind of obvious, but it really struck me recently that. Yeah. And this, this is true in, in our daily life as well. Not just religious type of stuff, but you know, there's a lot of Phariseeism that's just in the world. you know. And so a lot of it comes down to you make rules that you can keep, and that's how you determine who's right and who's wrong. That's how do you determine who's a better person, who's not a better person. And you come up with rules that, that you can follow. And that's exactly what the actual Pharisees did. They, they watered down the law of Moses to a system of rules that they pretty much could keep. Yeah. The others couldn't. And so we do that in our, in our, in, in church life, religious life, but also in, so it, it might be different, you know, different denominations, different people have different things, but you kind of look, you grade other people on, do you do this or not do this? And then you divide them that way. Let, so, let me give you a phrase. I think we're, uh, uh um, goes along with all this, and that is, I think, one of the problems Christians have is that we're not self-aware. Okay, now I don't mean self-focused. Self-focused. I'm always looking at my performance. We're just not aware of the fact 
that we're not living up to any grand standard. We're not living up to whether the Sermon on the Mount or, you know, we're not living up to what we have called the Christian life. We're just not aware of that. And I think a lot of believers have just kind of snookered themselves into believing, oh, yeah, I'm a disciple and I'm a follower. And I mean, I'm thinking, based on what? Yeah, okay, we have this, we have two or three or four kind of big rules, and if we keep those, then... then I'm a follower. Yeah. It's like, no, you're not. I mean, how? how just because you attend a 1030 service, serve in a particular department of your local church... Avoid maybe some big sins. That may, that's what it is. That makes you a see. But we're just unaware that we're not what we think we are. And I think that's the heart of Phariseeism. You know, people that I know that I would say kind of you know are a bit of Pharisaical are people who just really think they're just doing great. They're just all. And I, I think. I and, and so it relates. It relates to that false determination of ourselves, but then also how we look at others. And so that's where the division comes in. We yeah. kind of divide, or maybe we're doing that now. We're, we're calling some people Pharisee and we're not. Uh, but we all have some. Oh, I agree. I've, I'm, I'm we, part Pharisee. You know, I, I, I will say gonna, that. I was going to say, we I'm all, not, we I'm all not act saying like that. I don't mean that. I, I, I mean, I, you know, I struggle like with being, I, yeah. I struggle with that sometimes being, um, you know, looking down on people or whatever. I'm not, right. you know, but I'm aware of the fact I'm a Pharisee. Yeah. I think that's sometimes that's the difference maybe. I mean, I, I don't know. Okay, and, that... That, that's just the three things I was going to mention on, you know, okay, you might be a Pharisee if, but one of the other things I was going to bring up, I was going to do it later, I'll do it now since you mentioned the following, and, and I don't want to get too hung up on this again because I know we talk a lot about that idea of following, that it's not one of our favorite terms to describe our relationship with Christ. But, and the one thing we've talked about before, but something new dawned on me recently, you know, we've talked about the, the verse in First Peter that, you know, we shall follow in his steps, and that's in the context of suffering. And we've talked mm-hmm. about that, you know, yeah. typically when the New Testament uses that, or in the, in the epistles yeah. uses that term, it has the idea of suffering. And something just dawned on me the other day, that suffering is not something we, or persecution is not something we do. Persecution right. is something that's done to us. And so you don't say, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus because so I'm going to get persecuted. Well, you don't well, persecute yourself. Now, no, but some would say if you, if you stand for the for God right. for the gospel and for you know morality and all that, then you'll get persecuted. So I think it, yeah, and that is if we, and then yeah, there's different ways we can define that too. You know, yeah, sometimes we get right. persecuted not for just right. because of because our because we deserved being it a, being a jerk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're a Christian jerk. Yeah, you deserve so, yeah. to get a little persecution. But man. if and so, yeah, would agree. So First Peter 2 is right, that if we, you know, as those who have been joined with Christ and we're in him and he is in us and that's going to affect the way we live, then, yeah, there will come some persecution on that. And in that way, you know, yeah, we would we would follow in the steps that way. The um, Before I get back to the next one, get a little off topic here for you. This is in the farming category, so there's nothing spiritual about what I'm getting ready to no, say No, I'm here. an expert there. So, Go ahead. Lay it on me. Do you – I've got a friend that, that – um, has over 100 chickens, and they sell eggs. Lives around here. All right. Sells eggs. Had a, a very interesting conversation with him the other morning. We were involved in a com, in a project we were working together on, and somehow this came up. And I learned that evidently America is the only country that where we wash our eggs. Do you wash the eggs that that you that are produced on your farm? Crickets, um, I do crickets. not wash eggs, no. What do you do with the eggs? Um, well, the eggs that we get, we eat. I mean, we eat them. From, so how many chickens do you have? Um, we have um, 
Well, less than a hundred. Less than a hundred. We'll say less than a hundred. Yes, <laughs> less, less than a hundred. Well, I don't have 20? any chickens. Okay, <laughs> I don't have any chickens. All right, there you go. There you go. Anyway, it. the point is, now that we are evidently we are the only country that washes our eggs because, and actually, when you wash an egg, it will go bad quicker if you wash it because it comes out naturally with a type of a coating. So you're learning. I'm. This is ironic. I'm explaining to you some farming things. Here. I've never, I don't know so, if I've ever heard anybody wash an egg. We, who wash? You wash In eggs? America. No, I'm talking about, oh, oh, they're washed before you and I get them. Well, I mean, I've got them from farms and stuff. I mean, well, okay, maybe they, maybe don't, they don't. But We don't wash but, eggs. But if you go to the grocery store and buy an egg, it has been washed. Okay, because they don't want, okay, so, I can, they do it so, just for the looks of the egg. Okay, just because we're not used yeah. to them. But evidently other countries are laughing at us because we wash our eggs. And when you wash an egg, it, it washes off a protection that actually protects the egg from some Well, there you go. Never heard spoiling of Spoiling or okay. whatever. So you learned something. Okay. Got me with that. Um, again, these are kind of in random here, but I, I came up with an analogy recently that I think you'll like. I figured out what we are as in terms of what we do on this podcast, in terms of teaching grace and teaching the new Lay covenant. it on me. What are we, Jeff? We are spiritual chiropractors. Okay. Okay. Spiritual chiropractors. Okay. Let me explain, since you may not immediately make that connection no, in your I don't own mind. Immediately make that connection. So I've, I've been going to a chiropractor recently, and to be honest, full disclosure, I had always kind of had a questionable view about chiropractics and, and all that stuff. But um, had a little pain in the back of my neck when I'd sit at the office all day long looking at the computer. And many days I would go and toward the end, my my back of my neck would be hurting, not really stiff, but just some kind of pain there. And uh, so went to the chiropractor. One that's been highly rep, uh, recommended by uh, our, our daughter, and then Teresa went as well, and so I th- it's a convenient location. So I went, and it's actually helped. It's actually took care oh, of that yeah. problem. I mean, I've been so a couple good. times, I and mean, it's always anyway, helped me. There was a chart on the wall there, and I took a picture of it. I'll show it to you sometime, or I may post it on Facebook. There's a chart that shows uh, the diagram of the skeleton. It's kind of from a uh, a side view, and it shows all the nerves coming from the brain to all the different parts of the body, and which vertebrae they go through so you got the brain you know spinal cord and the nervous system you know obviously every part of our body is connected to the brain through the nervous system right I, i've heard that. that yes okay you i don't not, know that i got an a in anatomy that. back in uh, okay go ahead but there are certain nerves certain parts of the the spine go to certain parts of the body like you know they can tell you someone that knows all this that, okay the nerves that go to the eye they connect back to, you know they go back through this vertebrae the you know our nerves in the stomach go to the and every part of your body goes back to some part of that spine and a lot of physical problems that people have not all and so don't i don't want to I don't want to be a controversial thing on chiropractic, but but it, it, there's some reality to the truth, some truth to the reality, let's say it that way, that a lot of parts, a lot of problems in the parts of our body stem from the fact that the nerves are not getting full flow communication from the brain. And they're so when shorten you f- out, was it like well, electrical? No, they're, 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 they're kind loose of, wires well, kind of like there? a garden hose. You know, if you crimp a garden hose, the water okay, won't go through it. You just got right. you got and so, <laughs> okay. and so when the, when the, if the spine is not in alignment or the vertebrae are too compressed or whatever, I'm not sure if I'm using the right terms there, then that, that hinders the nervous system from functioning like it's made to. And so when it is alignment and when it is straightened, then the brain the nervous system operate and the rest of the body functions much better. And you can have healing in areas all because of that. So that I'm looking at this chart in the office and I'm trying to think of a spiritual analogy and it dawned on me, obviously the body of Christ, you know, scripture uses the body of Christ as an analogy. Christ is the head. And so what we do, and when we teach grace, teach new covenant, 
we are essentially lining up the spine, aligning the spine correctly. Okay. And so when you have the, when someone has the new covenant, stick with me here. Okay. When you have the new covenant and grace. Do we need grace, to give a medical disclaimer after this? That the, okay. No, because I'm not a doctor. That's right. the, that's we're not the, giving any medical advice here, right? Well, okay. no, well, actually we can because we're not doctors. That's, that's the irony. I can give medical advice and not get in trouble. But if I give financial advice, I can get in trouble. Okay. But, All right. Because I work in the financial services industry. So you can actually, if, if, if everybody knows, and, and I'm not a doctor of any kind, but the idea that, that when when the new covenant and grace is understood that frees up the brain or the head of Christ to communicate with the rest of the body. So that I don't think this is not doing a whole lot for you. Is it? You don't seem, I just have to ponder that. I mean, I don't know. I can just kind of see that. I don't know that it's, I don't know. Okay. We'll, we'll go on from there. Um, next thing, the difference between trusting God and manipulating God. I posted a thing the other day, and yeah. you know, this is another one of those things that still gets, you know, most everyone sees it, but not everyone sees it. That I, and I put that part of the, or the essential difference, it's not the only difference, but a basic difference between living under law, living under grace, is under, and this is true for me, that living under grace, we're essentially trying to manipulate God, or excuse me, living under law, we're essentially trying to manipulate God. Under grace, we're trusting God. And so for me, I know I spent a lot of years trying to follow God's principles, trying to live by principles, because I thought it would make my life work better. And that's exactly just Deuteronomy, the old covenant we just called the principles. But when you do things in that's true. Order, you know, that's a good little point. Don't skip over that. You know, you know, principles is another word for laws. Oh yeah, yeah, or guidelines. Yeah, or lessons Princi- or principles. Yeah, you principles got six principles. No, you got six laws. Okay, go ahead. And there, okay, I, I'm going to get a little bit specific here, but you know, I was. I'm sure some of our listeners are familiar with. For the years, I was headlong into a um, uh, a ministry called an, an Institute in Basic Life Principles, and we go to these seminars and had the book and all that, and learn all these things. And looking back, I see it was it was just a updated version of the old covenant. That if you do this, this, and this, you'll be blessed. If you do this, this, and this, you'll be cursed. And it really is a way because to try to manipulate what God does. Now, obviously we cannot manipulate God. God doesn't change. So I'm not saying that anybody expects God to change, but we do expect our behavior to affect how he treats us and how he works yeah, in our let life. Me t- you tell the answer to that would be, people would say, well, you're not really manipulating God. You're just putting yourself in a position where God can bless you. Yeah. Okay. Which is just so, a roundabout way of yeah, saying but, the same thing. But uh, yeah, so they see it through a different lens. Is but all. if, you know, it's time to think if, if how you lived your life if you knew that how you lived your life, the decisions you made had zero effect on God's acceptance to you, zero effect on God's willingness to bless you, would you still do it? Now, obviously, decisions in our life have consequences. So I'm not saying there's no consequences. There are natural consequences on, in this world to decisions. There are good decisions and bad decisions. But I think in terms of how does God feel about me, how willing is God ready to bless me and work in my life, that was maximized. I like that word. That was maximized at the cross because of what Jesus did on the cross. God cannot accept me any more than he already has. I'm fully acceptable. I'm fully blessed by God, and God is at work in that. And so rather than me trying to follow certain principles in order to get him to bless me more, which is essentially trying to manipulate God, as in the, the, but grace, then, by contrast, no, because of the cross, I am already totally blessed. I am already totally accepted, totally righteous, 
and I can just trust God to bless me the way he wants to bless. In terms of, you know, temporal circumstances and things like that, you know, but it used to be, you know, you do this, so you got, you know, want God to bless your finances. Well, then yeah. you need to do this, this, and this. You want him to bless your business, this, this, this. You want him to bless your ministry. You need to do this, this, and this. And it was all connected, and that was basically trying to manipulate God. Let me ask you this. You know, I put this on, on Facebook the other day. This is my new favorite analogy. You tell me if this works for you. All right. Okay. And that is um, that I would say it like this that at the cross, God just really released his grace and love like a wave. And there is a, a power that comes from the from the cross that you didn't generate, you didn't do anything for you, but you can kind of ride the wave, like you can accept it and ride mm-hmm. the wave, or you can do two other things. You can, you know, fight the wave, which a lot of people fight grace, or you can try to run from the wave, or you can you can ride the wave. And I do think that's a pretty pretty good analogy of how a lot of people respond to grace, uh, the grace of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Some people take it and go, wow, and they just kind of just kind of carries them, lifts them up, and they just kind of go with it. And other people, don't, well, I don't want that. You know, they splash against it or run or run from it. And you can do whichever. I mean, the wave's coming. The wave's there. Uh, the grace and love of God are there. Jesus did pay the whole price on the cross. And now it's just kind of how we respond to that. you agree with that? Or? Yeah, let me, let me tweak the analogy just a little bit, see All if right. you like this or not, is rather than – surfing type of thing um, on a sailboat. You know, you catch the wind. You can either go with the wind, you have the sail up, and you go with the wind, or you can have no sail at all, and it's just a meat point, or you can have the sail the wrong way. It's that similar thing, yeah, similar type of thing, but I think maybe more people can relate to a sailboat than surfing. But yeah, either way. The the reason I like the surfing thing is because – you know, I can see a picture of somebody splashing against the wave or running from the wave. Mm-hmm. You know, there's different ways to respond to a wave, mm-hmm. and uh, I guess that's what I okay. kind of resonate yeah, with. Yeah, I'm good with that. Just a couple other little quick things here. We'll, we'll wrap this up. Um, one of the guys on I know through Facebook has a great uh, Grace podcast himself, Joel, Joel Brzezinski. He pointed out just a simple thing, and I don't think I thought of this. You know, the verse, and I'm sure you've heard this many times. You probably used it from the pulpit like I did, from uh, Psalms. Um, I want to say chapter 22. I'm not 100% sure if I'm right on that. God inhabits the what? Praise of his Praises people. of his people. And so when during the service do you use that verse? Right before well, we, your song service. Yeah, right. So you people want, sing louder. You want everybody to sing loud. You want to really get into it. Yeah. God, and so you tell the crowd, God inhabits the praises of his people. The idea that if we sing loud and we sing together and we sing out, then God's going to live in that somewhere. And, and Joel made the simple point. Isn't it a little bit better today that God doesn't just necessarily inhabit the praise of his people? He inhabits what? The people. The people. Yeah. So he inhabits us. So I guess yeah. I guess he inhabits our praise because he inhabits us. But that's just a little difference between the old covenant and the new covenant, or seemingly little. And that's why we kind of gloss over that. And still, I'm sure, you know, this Sunday you know, there'll be a lot of worship leaders will use that phrase. God inhabits the praises of his people rather than the kind of lose sight of the fact that he inhabits us. Yeah. So You know, well, let me t- go back to the other thing we're talking about with, um, um, you know, how we look at things with um, kind of through a works lens or a grace lens or whatever. You know, one thing that hit me, I was reading, um, you know, the script, familiar scripture um, in Matthew 11 about um, where Jesus says, you know, can we all you weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. And, of course, I read that, and still my lens many times, my default saying is still obligations. Well, mm-hmm. i got to make sure I'm resting. Yeah. And that's not what it says. Yeah. It says he will give you rest, not you got to make sure you're resting. And so, anyway. A little children's of, song just came back to me. I, you know, I will give you rest. Yeah. Um, 
with that. One last thing as we wind this down, getting off topic again, you know, coming up on Valentine's Day, we've seen the Facebook where different couples talk about, you know, how they met, where they met, and the whole, you know, couples are posting on Facebook a long list about 20 different things of, you know, about how they met and all this stuff. Well, um, one of my daughters-in-law posted about um, one of my sons, and one of the things was, where was your first kiss? And she put on Facebook, so there's my daughter-in-law talking about her and my son, one of my sons. Where was their first kiss? And it said, in his uncle's driveway. Now, my kids only have two uncles, and one of them is in Massachusetts. And you know who the other one is? That'd be me. That would be you. So one of my sons and his now wife had their first kiss in your driveway. So how did that happen? I don't know. <laughs> Apparently, we aren't monitoring <laughs> yeah, activities yeah, in our driveway. Not. There's just all kinds of stuff going on in your driveway that you don't know anything about. So we, we can talk about that later. So. Well, how about that? And check out our book, Breaking the Hex Life with God After the Cross Killed Religion. Amazon, nine ninety nine.